Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by 4for4.com. I am Ryan Noonan. Joining me as always, my fellow co-director of betting here at 4for4.com, it's Connor Allen. Connor, what's going on, buddy? How's your week? Uh, it's been good. I've been uh, hitting the links every day after my embarrassing <laughs> performance two weeks ago. You know, just, just grinding the golf game, uh, try, trying to get my, my strokes gained better or worse. I don't really know which one is which, but, you know, something like that. Strokes gained to pick up your ball. You were uh, absolutely <laughs> dominant in that uh, metric, which is oh, under, the, under the radar metric. But uh, we're excited to be back this week to unpack the AFC East. Uh, joining us this week from Pro Football Focus is Nathan Jenke, basically one of the best uh, football minds out there. Nathan is a consistent beast in the uh, football fantasy pros rankings competition. He's a senior fantasy analyst over at PFF. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and thanks for the nice intro. Absolutely, man. Just trying to catch you every every year. I <laughs> uh, just keep kicking my butt a little bit more, uh, hanging up those number one badges and top five badges, just absolutely crushing it. So, um, yeah, I wanted to let you know about this is our our first year with a uh, betting package here at Four for Four, um, and we doing our best to make it really easy for you. It is super super cheap. Uh, you can actually get a free 4 for 4 Pro sub, uh, which is about a $50 value, just by depositing $10 over with our friends at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, if you've never deposited it, you're a first-time user. Somehow, you've managed to stay out of the swarm and wave that's been crashing down on all of our timelines on Twitter with best ball so far in the offseason. It's been pretty wild. But they are the best product out there. And uh, they're also giving new users a $25 bonus for first-time depositors as well. Once you do that, you can just go in and upgrade your subscription to our betting sub, which is basically our top-shelf subscription at 4 for 4. It's going to give you everything on the site, season-long, best ball, DFS, everything we have under one umbrella. Definitely want to check that out. Uh, we have NBA stuff going on for you know the finals this week with props. We have golf for the Open Championship starting uh, in a matter of hours at this point, so we'll have tournament stuff uh, all every round in there too. So you definitely want to sign up. Really excited about the exciting tools that we have for football season as well. So uh, AFC East, guys, this is a uh, changing of the guard a little bit last year with the Patriots basically having a two-decade run of dominance. And the uh, Bills are kind of the bell of the ball now in their analytics darling. We really we start to unpack some of the things that worked well for them this year. Uh, their non-conference schedule for the AFC East this year is against the NFC South and the AFC West. Um, Connor, give me your thoughts on the top before we dig into it. Uh, how are you approaching the AFC East? Yeah, I don't want to give too much away in terms of the bets that I like off the top. But, uh, I mean, in the Tom Brady area, like you mentioned, Patriots won the division 17 of 19 times. Now, first year with them permanently gone, the Bills won. Um, I think that this is a very interesting division with a lot of teams that – I think are really volatile, have a lot of good pieces, and that it wouldn't surprise me if this division goes a lot of different ways. All right, we'll dig in. Bills are obviously massive favorites, uh, minus 150 here, uh, and then pretty much everyone else. Dolphins at plus 310, Pats right behind at plus 350. Jets way back, uh, making some improvements, but still 25 to 1 to win the division. Um, yeah, we'll start with the Bills. I mean, ninth in terms of strength of schedule, pretty much all the teams here have a middling strength of schedule, really no advantage per se. Although there is one little schedule oddity that I'll get to later, which I thought was pretty interesting. 11 wins is the number across the board, basically for Buffalo. 
Uh, they are minus 375 to make the playoffs. Uh, you can short them at plus 275 to miss. To uh, win the AFC, they are plus 625. Best number there at BetMGM. You can get them at 13-1 at William Hill to uh, represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And, um, yeah, uh, give me your thoughts on the Bills as we jump in here, uh, Nathan. They're basically, analytics darlings last year. Uh, yeah, I definitely like the Bills again this year. Uh, I think I'd pick them to win the division, and I'd be happy betting them to win the division as well. Um, a lot has been talked about the Buccaneers and how much their team looks the same compared to last year, but the Bills look awfully similar to their last year as well. Retained all of their core coaches. Um, basically, the only things they lost was a guard, a defensive lineman. Uh, Josh Norman is probably the biggest name, but I think that's only an issue if they have a cornerback getting hurt. So I think the Bills can just build off of the momentum they had last year. And even if they take a step back just due to some regression, I think they're still a pretty good team. And I think 11 wins is definitely in the realm of possibilities. Connor, how are you approaching the Bills in the market so far? Yeah, I actually don't have too much um, on them to win the division or anything. I think 11 is about right, but I do really believe that they're they're Super Bowl contender. Uh, I mean, like Nathan said, they were a team last year ranked fourth in offensive EPA. Um, they retained most of their weapons. The biggest changes will probably be, you know, Emmanuel Sanders instead of John Brown, which, I mean, I personally think is a slight downgrade, but, you know, not by a ton. John Brown wasn't able to stay on the field by uh, very well. So, But they still have Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley. Um, I, I think the biggest storyline was Brian Dabble, you know, went going past first last year, really leading that offense um, to new new heights. And I think along with Josh Allen, who continues to take steps forward, even though, you know, myself included, we're not really in on him as a prospect. Um, and I think at this point, you know, like if he can continue to make strides forward, really, I think that the sky's the limit and they should be, you know, a massive uh, Super Bowl contender here. But their defense, I think, you know, they were strong in areas that mattered 11th and pass defense EPA last year. Um, 18th overall in EPA. So I think it was a lot of their run defense wasn't really all that strong, but I think that they're just paying attention to things that are important, which is, you know, stopping the pass and passing a lot. Uh, so this team, the Bills team, I think is, you know, it, it's tough for me to take anyone else to win the division, but I do like, you know, the Dolphins and the Pats, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, did any of the props stand out to you? We have a few here. Um, Josh Allen at over under 34 and a half touchdowns, 4,550 passing yards. Um, and then Stefan Diggs, 1,350 receiving yards and 106 and a half receptions. Those are all a DraftKings sportsbook. Uh, our friends over at SB Tech are the new odds providers for DraftKings and have, you know, gifted us a gold mine of props uh, inst- over instead of Camby, who, you know, is refusing to line most of anything. But do any of those stand out to you, Noonan or, or Nathan? You know, I'm interested. I want to get Nathan's take on the Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Gabe Davis situation, right, where we definitely have – you be pretty typical. We'll see this like a veteran kind of come in and then you have the young guy kind of emerging. It's made sense when they let John Brown walk and go to uh, the Raiders where you, you think that Gabe Davis is going to kind of slide into that role. And there's just a lot of talk early on. Again, we're a couple weeks out from training camp, so we don't necessarily have anything as far as what's going on in the preseason or anything like that. But um, we're pretty generous as far as our projections here at four for four, on Emmanuel Sanders, our number is about 175 yards higher than the number that we're getting at DraftKings at 600 and a half receiving yards. What are your thoughts as that situation plays out? Uh, yeah, I also have the over on Sanders. I think we have him at like 60 yards over that total. Um, for one, uh, 
the Bills play a lot of four wide receiver sets, so it doesn't necessarily need to be a Sanders versus Davis because they'll both be on the field plenty of the time anyway. Um, I know a Bills beat writer at least speculated the Bills could cut Cole Beasley, in which case both of them will always be on the field. And the Bills have the depth at wide receiver that making a cut at wide receiver could make sense with like Isaiah McKenzie week 17. He had two touchdowns when they were arresting mm-hmm. people. So they have the depth at wide receiver. And I think Sanders just consistently year in and year out gets at least that many yards. So I would get, put the over on Sanders there. Yeah, they did have four receiver, 10 personnel, 15% of the time last year, which was second only to Arizona. So that's a good point. They are out there quite often. Uh, some of the other numbers, Connor, the Allen numbers and the Diggs numbers, our projections are pretty much spot on with those. There's nothing that that would lead me to take an over on them. Like I would want to get, I'm happy to get exposure to them in best ball because I think that there's so many reasons to buy. I mean, the Josh Allen stuff was wild. His, according to Football Outsiders, his year-over-year improvements in their defensive adjusted yards above replacement metric was the biggest they've seen dating back to 1983 from a second to third year quarterback. Um, and he had already made drastic improvements from his first to his second year. So, I mean, increase in accuracy, sharp coaching, bringing in Stefan Diggs, who is, you know, a vacuum at receiver. There was just so many things that make you feel like the, the emergence of Josh Allen was, was pretty legit. So um, I'm buying him, but I don't know that I'm necessarily buying him in the pro market. Yeah, I think I'd be the one thing that would make me consider taking the over is because the Bills, even when they're winning, they're still passing the ball a lot. They, um, when they had a lead of seven or more, they were the most pass happy team in the NFL. So the fact that they aren't going to be as um, at risk depending on the game script, I think that makes me a little more um, happy to think that he could reach the over there. Is that they'll just be throwing whether they're winning, whether they're losing, they'll just keep doing it. Yeah. It's true. You're uh, you're muted, Connor. But I think what you're trying to say is that they led the league in play action rate last year. That's they exactly what I was going to say. We're second. Uh, they ranked 31st in first down runs, basically, right? So that's great. That's what we don't want. We don't want first down runs into eight nine man boxes. Like they they just do all the things we want them to do: third in yards per drive, second in points per drive. Like and like Nathan said, they're basically running it back in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, okay, so beyond that, I think that it's good for Stefan Diggs. Uh, without John Brown last year, he had no fewer than nine targets in a game. Um, and so obviously Emmanuel Sanders comes in there to play a little bit, but uh, I mean, he should just still soak up targets. And I think it's probably somewhere in between those splits uh, because like in those games, he was just like getting, you know, 10 plus receptions with ease off the time. So. Yeah. They don't really have many scheduling anomalies that would make you feel like they have any built in, losses per se or even really tricky spots i think they only have two back-to-back road games um, no real crazy travel stuff like that too so i feel good about them winning this division uh, 11 wins i think is kind of the right number but i would lean over but it's kind of a stay away for me so any other bills thoughts uh, not really no all right we'll jump on to miami uh miami uh, nine wins is the number. You can get a nine and a half at William Hill, depending on which side you want to take on the number. They are plus 110 to make the playoffs. No is minus 140. Get them uh, 16 to one to win the AFC and 30 to one to win the Super Bowl. I think 10 and six in year two under Brian Flores probably exceeded expectations. Um, obviously, 
quarterback issues back and forth with Ryan Fitz and Tua was kind of interesting. Uh, obviously, the defense was a massive factor, even though they didn't make the playoffs at 10 and 6. I mean, they forced a turnover at a league high 16% of their opponents' drives, by far the highest rate in the league. Only problem with that is, is that we know year over year that tends to not be super sticky. They were the best defense in the league on third and fourth down, but they were basically middle of the pack in defensive DVOA, EPA per play. So, like, I don't know how really how good is that defense? Is that is there something to that? Is there something schematically with Flores where they're or, or they're just opportunistic? They're making the right plays at the right time because big picture, it wasn't a great defense. When you dial in, they were really good when it mattered. Nathan, what do you think about Miami? I think they're a very interesting team this year. I think on offense, um, the changes they made at wide receiver will help a lot. They went through so many wide receivers last year, and now they'll have. Um, improvements to what they had compared to their best wide receivers last year. Um, on defense, I think they have been trying to build in, in a smart way, um, build at cornerback, build their defensive backs. Um, there were, even today, trade rumors about Xavier Howard, so I think that's a little concerning. Um, I'm not as happy with their front seven. Their offensive line is probably one of the worst ones in the league, so they definitely have a lot of weak points on the roster, so I think a ton of it just depends on how Tua does in his second year. Yeah, what are your early thoughts on Miami here, Connor? Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh, you know, give you some hot takes here because I've, I've put a little bit of money on Miami and just in, in general on the team. So, I mean, for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned, I, I'm pretty bullish on the Dolphins. A lot of it has to do with the offense here and the weapons that they added. I mean, if you look back at Alabama when Tua had success, when you know, the whole tank for Tua thing was going on, and he was throwing to guys who could do nothing but separate and now you throw him into an offense last year where his main target is Devontae Parker, who can't separate for his life. He's playing behind a bad offensive line. He's, he's playing behind – or he's playing with an injury that his should have taken him more than a year to recover, and he probably shouldn't have been even playing in the first place. Um, they didn't even have, like, a rookie camp because of COVID and everything. So then you're, you're basically throwing him in, like, one of the worst situations possible. Now you had Will Fuller. You had Jalen Waddell. You keep Gusecki. You keep Parker. I mean, I think that this is just an ideal scenario for a quarterback that – is going to make an under-the-radar kind of leap. Um, and, I mean, I'm a, I was a big believer of his talent. I thought that he was, he was uber-talented in college. And, obviously, prior to the injury, you know, I just thought that he was he was a great prospect. And now you had all these weapons in. There's obviously still concerns about the offensive line. But, um, I mean, I sprinkled a little bit on Tua 60-1 to to win MVP because I think that if he overcomes the line concerns, um, that there's that's within his range of outcomes. Um, you know, even though it is a long shot, don't get me wrong, but 60-1, to uh, I think it's worth a little of a sprinkle. Um, if he really shows that improvement, like you guys talked about, 10th easiest uh, strength of schedule using win totals. Um, so I took a little bit of MVP. I took a little bit of Dolphins to win the Super Bowl at 30 to 1. Um, I do think that the Bills are better, like a roster on, on the whole. But I, I think that there's a, there's a chance that this Dolphins offense is electric. Um, and I'm not saying that it's, it's you know, a, you shouldn't be like putting all of your money on this. But I think that it's worth a sprinkle at the current odds. Yeah, it comes down to two. I mean, the offensive line is young. I think it's like the second or third youngest unit in the league. And there's some, you know, decent prospects there too. So if they can gel, like you said, there was really no off-season program last year for them to really find a rhythm. The Tua stuff was interesting. So obviously it was his calling card in Alabama. He was uber accurate. Obviously he was throwing to NFL receivers. But his um, his completion percentage over expectation was the fifth worst in the league last year. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but Sports Info Solutions charted him with the fifth highest catchable ball rate. So, like, it kind of goes back to the point that you, both of you made 
because there's just there's such an improvement from a surrounding cast standpoint that just if he continues to naturally progress and has you know boosted by the surrounding cast, the offensive line moves forward a little bit, then they're going to be significantly better offensively. My concern is that they were incredible on special teams. I think they were a top five special teams unit. And we know typically like offensive DVOA is like twice as sticky as defensive DVOA. It's just really hard to replicate that type of turnover performance defensively. Now, there's something to be said for you know being able to scheme things, but it's not like they're a massive pressure rate team. They're not getting a ton of pressure and a ton of sacks. They added Jalen Phillips in the draft. Hopefully he adds to that too. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's just, I think that there's kind of, going to be an equal shift i think what the improvements they make offensively they might lose defensively and might keep them kind of in that same ballpark of you know nine ten wins or so but i'm i'm also bullish on the over on the two props i think our two props are soft connor yeah um yeah so what do we have matt right four thousand and a half passing yards 24 and a half passing touchdowns um i think our projections have it at 44 37 passing yards and 29 and a half passing touchdowns um, so yeah, I, I lean towards the over on both. I get I get the concerns and, and everything, but um, you know I'm I'm in on two of this year, so I think that the over there is probably my play. Nathan, do you have a favorite receiver yeah. of the group, or you know, I mean, I know we're you're seeing Fuller go a little bit ahead of the other guys, but uh, do you have a preference there, or any of the props yeah. jump out of you? Well, first off, I definitely want to agree with you on two on the over on yards. We have him a couple hundred yards above that point since like I think last year. It's not just the quality of receivers, but how many went in and out. Uh, first, they had Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns opt out at the beginning of the year, uh, traded Isaiah Ford after his to his first start. Preston Williams gets hurt on the second start. Uh, Antonio Callaway tried four games and then caught him. Uh, Parker missed two and a half games in there. Uh, they tried Graham and Perry over a stretch and decided to cut their playing time. So end of the season, it was Matt Collins and Lynn Bowden. So. I don't know how much we can take out of anything Tua did last year because he was learning new wide receivers basically every single week, and that's really not fair to do to a rookie quarterback. So um, I think with the talent there, uh, Fuller is someone that I like, but there are only a couple of players that I'll shy away from them because of their injury history. And I think if Fuller can start every game outside of the one he's suspended, He'll get over the yards there, but I have to think I'll miss a game or two at some point, and that'll put him under. So I think Jalen Waddell's probably my favorite over for his receivers. I think he'll be basically on the field all the time, and that'll give him enough targets to get there. Um, Gusecki's probably someone I'd go under on his receiving yards. Um, They drafted Hunter Long. They already rotate their tight ends a lot as is, so... I'm not sure he'll get the playing time and get the targets because they added so much talent. So I don't think he'll get to his receiving yards. Yeah, we. I mean, we have uh, we actually have 796 for Waddle. His over under is 750, and then Gasecki we have 619, and his over under is 685. So we're pretty much in lockstep there with uh, your projections as well. And I, I think it's pretty interesting to see kind of what the dynamic is between Fuller and Waddle and who to a, who becomes like Tua's favorite target. Um, so I'm not really sure that I'm like hitting this in like a, you know, binary prop market. I do like the over on both, but I think that in best ball and in fantasy drafts in general, I think that they both have a lot of upside, especially on like a weekly basis um, that like, you know, weekly, one of them could easily just pop off for massive games. Uh, I just, I'm not sure who it's going to be. And I think that that might end up being a headache if Tua does prove to be uh, good. 
Yeah, and I think the a little bit of regression that I'm kind of expecting from the de- defense actually kind of helps support that case for the offense for Tua and some of the output there too. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on Gusecki. I loved him last year. The thought of like big slot and really nothing else besides Parker. And now they just they were mixing him in last year even, and now they basically you know got an entirely new supporting cast around him. And it just is is not someone I want to be buying in. Even though I love the talents, it's not. You know, it doesn't matter if he's standing on the sideline for, you know, 55, 60% of the snaps. So a couple more points on the Dolphins real quick. So 10 and 6, yes, they missed the playoffs. Remember, two games. At Arizona, one of the two games, very makeable late Zane Gonzalez field goal that he missed Miami wins. Also the Fitz Magic game. And we know that these, like, the the Vegas game where they pulled him, put Fitz in, and, like, it was a miracle, like, last 90 seconds. We know how these – these win-loss things can get so finicky with one scores and how they can regress. And yeah, it was a great story. The defense was awesome, but like we're talking about again, you can do this for a lot of games. These just jumped off the you know top of my head that I remember these two games that were very these very small things. That this is an eight and eight team. If those two things, the kicker makes a forty-eight yard field goal, and Fitz doesn't come in and just go bonkers against the terrible Raiders secondary that everyone had demolished until Tua got up there and kind of stubbed his toe a little bit. So, uh, And there's this weird schedule thing that I have not seen since we started doing London games. Uh, Miami plays Jacksonville in London in week six. But then they come home the next week and they host Atlanta, who is off a bye. So not only do they not get the bye after going to London, which everyone does, everyone else does this year, everyone has historically, they come home and they play a team that's coming off of a bye in week seven. Then they travel to Buffalo. They don't even get the next week off. They go to Buffalo. Buffalo's off a bye that week. So they get two teams in a row off a bye after going to London. Yikes. It's not great. It's it's just a a weird – I don't know why they would do that. I know that Miami to London isn't like, you know, Chicago to London or Seattle to London, but it's still to London. And it's, you know, the time zone thing is just – it's a weird, it's a weird thing mid season, and then they don't have a buy. Their buy is like week fourteen, so, um, yeah, I, I'm with yeah. you, Connor. I think if it happens, it's on Tua. So you're sprinkling on Tua because you're right. If if they do, they do, <laughs> uh, you know, they they take over and they win this division. It has a lot to do with Tua, I'd imagine. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is that number is probably pretty good. I think this is a uh, maybe an eight or nine win football team. Yeah, that's fair. All right, we'll move on to the former dominant squad here in the AFC East. Uh, Things went very sideways last year in New England. Uh, Nine wins as the number of DraftKings, nine and a half at William Hill. Same numbers as Miami. They are uh, same number for the playoffs as well. Basically, all their stuff is the same. Uh, They are plus 110 to make the uh, playoffs, minus 140 to not. You can get them at 16 to 1 to win the AFC, 33 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. I mean – we knew that the first post-Tom Brady year would go poorly. It really could not have gone worse. They still somehow managed to muster seven wins, but you have uh, eight COVID opt-outs. That is, I believe, three more than any other team. Four of those guys were starters. Cam gets COVID. Um, it was an absolute mess. I mean, the weapons that uh, – we talked about the Miami weapons a minute ago. Like, 
who New England was rolling out there at the skill positions over the last couple of months was just absolutely rough. Um, they also like didn't even try. I think at the end, like they didn't even bother. They knew Cam was messed up. They ran into eight man boxes more than anyone in the league. They had the lowest pass rate on third and fourth down. Basically, they were the anti Bills. It was just an absolute mess. But again, Mac Jones in the draft, uh, Christian Barmore in the draft, who I like quite a bit. I think PFF was very high on him as well, Nathan. And then uh, obviously we know about the spending spree in free agency. They basically threw a ton of money at uh, multiple tight ends, some receivers. We can you know argue about how they spent the money all day, but they will be better and they will be a little bit different, Nathan. Uh, talk to me about New England. Yeah, I think I like them to make the playoffs this year. I think with all of the improvements that they made at wide receiver, I definitely agree they overpaid for Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. And there were better wide receivers that made less money in free agency later. But at this point, that doesn't matter for their win totals. Um, Henry and Jonu Smith, I think it'll be very interesting to see how they use all of those players on offense. But I think it'll definitely help. Um, they already have the third best offensive line by our rankings, uh, fifth best secondary. It helps a ton who they got back on defense. Uh, McCourty, Donta Hightower, uh, Kyle Van Noy's back there. They added Matthew Judon in free agency. So I think this defense looks pretty similar to, to some of the defenses that won Super Bowls with them. So obviously the big difference is they don't have Tom Brady anymore, so they still need to find a way to be good without him. But I think they have so much talent around, whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones, that I think that's enough to push them into the playoffs. Yeah, it's uh, Mac Jones. Is Mac Jones a deep Herbert-style three-point shot at Rookie of the Year? Ah, I love it, Tyler. Um, Connor, thoughts? I mean, Connor has a lower back uh, tramp stamp tattoo of Cam Newton, so this is going to be really <laughs> hard for him to have a conversation about uh, Mac Jones. But talk to me about Mac Jones because I know, you know, again, we can make all the excuses in the world for Cam, COVID, shoulder, supporting cast. Um, but, again, the, the draft – equity that they spoke with by by taking Mac Jones what do you think happens there at the quarterback position yeah no I, I think that it's going to be Cam obviously to start I think he's pretty heavy favorite I think he's like minus 500 something like that to start the season um I I actually wouldn't be surprised to see you know if after like a week or two if they fall behind in a game that they just throw in Mac Jones uh, because like Cam's not really a, a come from behind quarterback and I'm not saying the Mac Jones is either but uh, I mean we've seen it in the past with coaches kind of just putting in a more natural passer and a guy who's a little bit more accurate um, in the, that role to try and come back. I mean, we saw with, with Fitz and Tua even like, you know, plenty of times in kind of a, a reverse role of, you know, what this would be. Uh, but I think that Mac is actually set up for plenty of success and that he's a good kind of, uh, you know, longer shot at offensive rookie of the year in some senses, but the issue is just like playing time because I, we talked about it plenty of times in this podcast. Cam was playing really well in his first few games prior to getting COVID. Um, and, you know, they were, um, a, a botched play there at the end for beating Seattle. Um, and then he got COVID prior to prior to Kansas City and was just absolutely dreadful after that. Like he was, I mean, there's no excuses there. He was legit bad. Um, and so I don't know if it was COVID or whatnot, but he see, I, he's a player that I think has a very wide range of outcomes and that, you know, Mac, but I just don't know how much he's going to play. And that's why I haven't taken any piece of action on Mac Jones uh, because I think that Cam Newton is a viable starter if he's playing at full health and if he's playing up to his potential, even at his age and everything. But, you know, if Mac Jones plays, I don't know, half the season, I think that he's very much in the running for offense rookie of the year. I think it's even worth the sprinkle to take Mac week one, and I think it's Cam. But I also think, like, New England has shown, and I think Belichick is one of those guys. Obviously, going back to the Brady-Bledsoe thing, win it in camp. 
Like there is an opportunity to win it in camp. And I think that if Mac is by far the better fit in camp, I, I don't think that they're married to camp. It's a very incentive laden contract. They're not tied to him in any sense of the word. I, I really feel like there's a shot for Mac to just go out and take that job. I, I think he's probably working uphill, but like, I feel like even kind of how they built the team, I feel like that kind of works for Mac as well. Um, are you watching those Mac training camp videos? Is that what the look at you going over here? You know, they're, well, they're like not. showing the, the side by sides of the Cam Newton versus the Mac Mac throws, where it was like Cam was just like tossing away over their heads and Mac was dropping in the bucket. Well, I'm, you I'm, I'm you know 40 and I just had a, a baby, <laughs> so I I respect a lot about what Mac Jones looks like with his shirt off. <laughs> So I think it's just that's really what it is, and it's just a, uh, it's just kind of natural for me. I feel like it makes a lot of sense. We can, you know, you gravitate to things we're familiar with, and I'm very familiar with a uh, pasty, unshapely white body. So, uh, Nathan, thoughts on the Patriots? Yeah, I think at quarterback, I think like a lot of teams, there's a lot of politics that'll get involved of a team needs to start this quarterback so the head coach can keep his job and those kind of things. Where I think with the Patriots, it'll just be whoever plays better at camp ends up being the starter. And we aren't going to be able to necessarily predict who will play better at camp or other situations we can be like, well, based on the coach wanting to save his job and they just drafted this quarterback, they'll put this quarterback in and hope that's enough to save them the job where Belichick's not going anywhere anytime soon if he doesn't want to so um, I think it's just whoever is the better guy will play and I think whoever plays there's enough talent around them that they're a playoff team yeah there's enough buzz around Damian Harris it's the only prop we have for New England as well I think the thought is that since Cam is so rush heavy especially you know goal line stuff and fantasy that Damian Harris would really benefit from Mac Jones at quarterback um, and I can I can get there. I understand why there's that thought out there. We're a little higher on him than uh, the prop number. Prop number at 845 and a half. Over on DraftKings, our number is 878, which I think is maybe even a little light. But again, New England historically has been a team that is not afraid to play the hot hands or play the matchup at the running back position as well. Connor, any thoughts on the Harris number? Yeah, I kind of like the over, actually. I know I know that our uh, projections are only at 878, but I think that, um, I mean, Harris just stood out as I, what I thought was the best running back, like by far. Um, and it seems like they're going to go with like the run heavy approach. You know, they bolster the offensive line. Um, Justin Edwards at four for four, our offensive line guy has them ranked as a top five offensive line actually right now. Um, and like you guys have mentioned, you know, they added the two tight ends. Like it seems like they're just going to be playing a bunch of big packages, running the ball a ton. Um, and Damian Harris last year, um, he started 10 games, had 10 or more carries in nine of them cleared 100 yards in three of them, averaged 70 yards per game, which is, you know, a dangerously uh, a dangerous game to prorate, but prorated to 1,175 yards over 17-game season. Obviously, injuries play into that. I'm not rushing to take running back overs because running backs get injured all the time, but I do think that this number is a little light, and I would probably – I think that it'll finish with close to 1,000 yards, uh, probably in the 900, 950 range. Yeah, Isaiah Wynn back, uh, brought Trent Brown mm-hmm. back. The offensive line is going to be – going to be really good i mean i think the defense is going to be much improved as well so that's why i'm with nathan i think that this team is better than miami um and i think that they have a better shot at making the playoffs I'd, I'd be more apt to take i don't know that i think i would take a win total over but i think getting them at plus money to make the playoffs is something i like better than taking them at you know an over nine or or something like that um i know nathan likes the playoffs too Oh, yeah. And I will say with Harris, I might actually go a little under on that yardage total. 
I think Harris and a different coaching staff and a different scheme, he could be a top 10 running back just by his talent alone, but it's just the number of running backs in the Patriots' backfield and how much they use them. Uh, Sony Michelle played his best football last year when he got his opportunities and he's still in the mix. I would feel a lot better about Harris if uh, Sony got traded. Um, they drafted Stevenson, so he'll be in the mix. Uh, James White is still their receiving back, and he'll be taking all of the passing downs. So it doesn't hurt his rushing total too much, but at least in the past, White has been able to run the ball at times. So there's a chance White could still be taking some of those carries away. So it's not a talent issue whatsoever. It's just an opportunities one. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, all right, Noonan. So Miami at New England week one. Um, New England are one and a half point favorites. I'm willing to just go even with you. I'll take the Dolphins. You take the Pats. <laughs> what do you think? Come on. I mean, we need a we need a week one bet in in July. I mean, it's, yeah, it's I just, need this from you. Last year, it was the Bengals. Yeah, I was firing off Bengals plus three against the Chargers, and that damn kicker missed. Oh, I missed. Was like <laughs> I don't even Randy Bullock. I don't even remember who it was. But oh, I was man. so salty. They were winning the entire game, and then he just blew it. Oh, so it was I fired bad. that bet off like six months early. Yeah. Sorry. Absolutely no closing line value either. It's probably just the fishiest move ever, but it it felt right, and I thought I thought it was good. Yeah, there we go. Miami's going to roll the Pats week one. That's what I'm talking about, John McClint. Love that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your uh, your bet. I'll take the Patriots. You'll take uh, it at home. Yep. Absolutely. All right. We'll we'll uh, bet a round of golf on it. I'll cover I'll cover the next round. How about that? Deal. All right. Done. Love it. Um, James White. Late round best ball play from uh, Bukeman again. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I, you know, it's weird. Best ball. Uh, Nathan, do you, are you a big best ball grinder? Uh, yeah, I've been doing one of them a week, streaming them on Twitter on Thursday nights. But yeah, so, um, well, yeah, I've seen your rankings for sure. So I, I know, you know, there's a, there's what won last year, right? So like now everyone wants to rep- mm-hmm. replicate what won last year, and now it becomes. You know, and that was unique. But now, like, there's – how dare you post any, any you know, team that looks unlike the team that won last year. And now it's just this, like, you know, you maybe if you dare take a running back before the round 15, um, go for it. But you just – you need to load up on the James White types. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I get it. I, I like him more maybe on MFL 10s, which I know Tyler plays because I run into him over there all the time, versus underdog where it's a half-point PPR. I'd rather have – a little bit more touchdown equity or upside because if something were to happen to if Sony gets cut and Harris gets hurt, I think we're going to see, you know, Stevenson more than we're going to see early down James white role. So uh, I get it. I get the appeal of it, but I, I don't know. I feel like they also, the way that they added receivers, whether it's tight ends um, kind of the way that Jacoby Myers runs routes, um, how I think they're probably going to try to use Kendrick Bourne. I don't know that that necessarily helps James White per se, but what are your thoughts, Nathan? Uh, yeah, I think for the late round, I'd probably want to get someone that I could see absolutely any scenario where they could get 15 carries in a game. And I don't see that ever happening for James White. They would add running backs off the waiver wire before they ever put White as the first and second down back consistently. So because I can't see a scenario where White would ever be the guy where there's plenty of other teams where the top two guys get hurt and then this guy would be the main running back on the team. So I'd probably rather get one of those players over White. Are you guys not interested in like the Mac Jones scenario though? Like what if Mac Jones is the starter? I feel like that could open up some stuff for White a little bit um, with, you know, checking the ball down. 
Sure. I mean, Harris was not a complete zero in the passing game. I know that it's White's job, but like they did throw to him a little bit last year. So, I mean, I know that White is going to be the guy for that, but I get it. It's same, same premise of we like Matt Jones for the backs across the board because, you know, Cam is the goal line back. Cam is less likely to check down to them for all those reasons. So I get it. I just, I'd much rather to Nathan's point there. I'd rather wait a little bit because I think there's enough industry buzz on James White being a great running back four, or if you dare running back five, but there are guys that I think there's even a guy in the jets that we're talking about. And we probably won't even talk about him, but I'd rather take him on my very last pick because there's a path to Ty Johnson getting 12, 15 carries. Ty Johnson's good. He just, you know, he was good last year when he got a shot. Um, so I, those, that's just, there's upside there that I, I don't think that the white has again, full point PPR Tyler, when we're playing on MFL tens, continue to scoop them all day. I'm sure you are, but yeah, underdog, I'm kind of leaving them alone. So, all right, we'll transition there to the jets again, 25 to one to win the division. They're way back. Um, six and a half is the number of DraftKings. There's a six at William Hill. Uh, they are plus 550 to make the playoffs. Uh, to not make the playoffs, they are minus 800, uh, 65 to 1 to win the AFC, 125 to win the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, addition by subtract uh, by subtraction at the top with Adam Gase moving on and Robert Sala taking over. Basically, everyone that's ever played for him is raving about how he is with players and uh, kind of a general uh, thumbs up across the league with him taking over here. And then also Joe Douglas has just gone out and done something that they really never did for Sam Darnold and uh, spent uh, draft capital and free agent money on um, a supporting cast to support number two overall pick Zach Wilson. I mean, I, I think it's curious. I know PFF likes Zach Wilson a lot. Um, I think that Zach Wilson now in the role is going to be very interesting. I thought it was very curious that he was like, in February, locked in as the no doubt number two overall pick after playing like a JUCO schedule and lighting it up. But uh, hey, it's his job, and he's got some weapons, and they'll at least be more exciting than years past. Nathan, what are your thoughts on the Jets? Yeah, I definitely think they are starting to go in the right direction. I really like Robert Sala as a head coach. The things he was doing with the defense in San Francisco, I thought was very strong. Um, like you said, we're high on Zach Wilson. Although who knows how rookie quarterbacks will end up doing. Sometimes it'll take a year or two. Just looking at the Jets roster, it looks like they had a good first year start to a rebuild that still will need another second and third year to the rebuild before they start getting good. So in terms of like their win total, I feel like six to seven wins is right around where I would have them be. Um, I definitely think they'll finish at the bottom spot in the division unless Zach Wilson just is excellent as a rookie. But um, there's just not enough good players on the team. I do like that they added Corey Davis, and that'll help Wilson as a rookie. But there's so many holes on the defense, on the offensive line, that I find it hard for the team to put everything together this year. Yeah, the defense still has a lot of questions. Carl Lawson comes over from Cincinnati in free agency. But, like, the secondary is still really young, but, like, no actual – you would consider prospects like no one that was drafted um, that's projected to start or really even contribute. that was drafted uh, higher than the fifth round. So they really just kind of, it's, it's not, it's not pretty. It's going to be another team to attack uh, definitely in, in DFS. Connor, any thoughts on the jets, any of these uh, prop numbers or um, any of the previous lines I laid out? 
Yeah, I think the more that we talk about and looking at our projections, so we have a Zach Wilson prop here at 3,800 and a half passing yards, 21 and a half touchdowns. Uh, our projections have him at 4,271 passing yards, 24 touchdowns. Uh, I mean, the more that we talk about, you know, bad defense, um, they're probably going to be losing the majority of the time. They added, they bolstered the offensive line. They added more weapons, you know, Corey Davis, um, Elijah Moore, still have Denzel Mims. Uh, they even added, you know, Tevin Coleman in the backfield, Michael Carter in the backfield. Uh, I mean, they're, he has a decent amount of weapons, like you guys mentioned. Their defense is going to be bad. I think that there's like, you're probably right that they're a year away from actually winning games, but I don't think that that doesn't mean that they can't be a fun offense or like a fun team where they're putting up, you know, 21, 24 points a game and, but still losing like, you know, almost every game. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that this could be, I'm excited to watch the jets maybe for only a week or two, but I'm excited. Um, just because I think it'll be interesting to see how all of those guys mesh. Um, it's probably nothing that I'm betting, but I mean, the Zach Wilson props, I I think is a little bit light. I'm curious to see what the, the rest of the industry though has for any projections. Nathan, do you have any any projections on him or Yeah, with Wilson, we basically have him exactly what the odds say. We had him exactly at twenty one point five passing touchdowns in our yeah. projections. Um thirty eight thousand fifty yards, so right around where yeah. he should be there. I do think um like you said, the offense will be interesting to watch. Um when I said they're doing like the first part of the rebuild, a lot of what they did this offseason was focused on the focused on the offense. So I think the offense can do pretty well this year um, for it'll just be interesting who ends up seeing the field, who gets the targets um, behind Corey Davis. Like there's been talk of Denzel Mims in the camp so far being like the fifth or sixth string wide receiver behind uh, Keenan Cole, uh, Jamison Crowder wasn't playing, but he should still see a decent amount of time. Um, then they drafted more. So there's a lot of wide receivers there, so it'll be hard to know who exactly gets the targets. And like you said, at running back, they have three, four guys, any of which could be the guy. And like the 49ers coaching staffs, they typically like having one primary ball carrier. So whoever it ends up being should do well whatever week they are the starter after the start of the entire season should do well. It just could be any of those running backs we mentioned. Yeah, that was the thing too. I mean, it's you have Michael Floor coming over too. You have a lot of that like same premise where they're not afraid to mix it up. Like they'll go with that guy for the week, but then there are so many variables. We know Tevin Coleman, obviously, this familiarity there, but he just can't stay on the fields. Uh, there are lots of you know buzz videos about they loved Michael Carter and wanted to draft him earlier, and you know he was a second round pick in their mind, and they're so excited that they got him. And we'll see. I mean, he was obviously incredible metrics some of the things he did at unc in college so um yeah but again i'll, I'll ring the bell for ty johnson because i think if he gets a chance uh he's uh he yeah ty johnson is good he's good uh look up his player profile he, he's got like you know size and speed he's like 225 ran like a 4-3 pretty solid and did well last year when he got a chance so uh, again I'm, I'm really betting against a rookie and and uh tevin coleman like it's not that much. The problem is the Jets' offensive line is, is still terrible, and they won't be in a lot of uh, running situations with advantageous game scripts very often. But, uh, yeah, they will be at least fun to see. Like you mentioned, I'll be interested to see how it kind of shakes out with the receivers. You know, bringing back Crowder, which I thought was really interesting, seeing that basically the pay cut demands was going to force his hand to, to go somewhere else, and he put his tail between his legs and came back, and they're going to run it back and – put Denzel Mims on the bench. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But I do think that they'll be fun. 
they won't be relegated to like the corner TV anymore. Maybe you can put them on, you know, some of the main screens and, and aren't afraid to watch them when they're playing another really good team. No, those, those Sam Darnold unders though were just so good last year. This last like two years, it was just like free money. You know, you'd end up with like eighty yards. You know what I mean? It's probably like two hundred. And now we're all about Sam Darnold overs this year. Once we get to oh that, yeah, uh, once oh, we get to that, AFC, that uh, NFC South preview, I know you and I are both going to be ringing that bell. So yeah. All right. Well, that wraps us up, Nathan. What's uh, your favorite bet that we talked about? Your uh, favorite play here in the uh, in the AFC East? I would say probably Tua over on the passing yards. I think he gets that by a wide margin. I like it. Connor, I think I know where you're at. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say my favorite bet is Dolphins win the Super Bowl 30-1. to 1. You can just <laughs> r- record this clip, and when they win the Super Bowl, just play it back just on repeat the entire offseason. Oh, man. I, I just want to take – uh, I'll take Miami under nine and a half wins oh. at, 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 William, at William Hill. Oh, brutal. And I'll take uh, New England at plus 110 to make the playoffs. All right. This needs to be said, though. It's at the end of the podcast. You are such a homer. Come on. <laughs> Listen, uh, yes, I am. But um, I admitted how bad it was last year, right? It was rough last year. But they're going to be better. The defense is significantly better. Uh, offensive line is great. Like they're going to be good where it matters. They'll figure out. I mean, I think quarterback does matter, but I think they'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, saying they're, I'm not saying they're going to be bad. I'm just saying that like, you know what? You love the Patriots so much and it's like undeniable. You're living with your son, Brady, that you named Brady, you know, for forever now. So I, anytime that you're like super bullish on the Patriots, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I get it. I get it. But yeah fair skepticism you know that your dolphins have two offensive coordinators right do you know that if you have two offensive coordinators you have zero offensive coordinators yeah but two is better than one actually is it though yeah is it is it it relates to offensive coordinators is it i don't think it is i don't know i mean how often has there been two offensive coordinators i actually don't know i think that's a that's why we need to ask the question i'm gonna we'll get a study at four for four just uh, the success rate of two offensive coordinators maybe they're they're the next dynamic duo you know they'll be a more common thing going forward yeah, man. When Tua I, takes the league by storm, wins MVP, and then wins the Super Bowl, it'll be a study done back for years on the two offensive coordinator uh, role. I think Tua is going to be good. I like the two overs as well. I just right. don't think. I think Miami's a little. I think they're coming back a little bit, and, and they can fall at nine and still hit my under and uh, mm-hmm. and blow up your Super Bowl pick. So that's fine. All right, that wraps us up, Nathan. Tell everyone where they can find you, find your stuff, and. Sure, all my stuff over at uh, ProFootballPFF.com. Um, I'll have articles up several every week from now until at least the end of the season. Um, then Twitter is where you can also find all my stuff, PFF underscore Nate Yaki, uh, last name spelled J-A-H-N-K-E. Love it. Uh, definitely want to check out everything going on at PFF. I mean, they are a pillar in the industry, uh, rock solid. Uh, content along with obviously all the data that they have over there as well and um, Nathan is one of the guys on the fantasy side absolutely leading the charge there so that wraps us up for this week we'll be back next week with uh, the AFC West so for Nathan and Connor I'm Ryan we'll see you next week